Legacy Now podcast. Normalizing women, making money, having big goals, and building a legacy. Her legacy now. Here's your legacy protector and hostess with the mostest, Carmen Rosas. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Her Legacy Now. I'm really excited to have um, today's guest on. Um, she's actually a longtime family friend. Um, like, I don't know how long it's been that we've known each other, but um, she has a super powerful story that I think there's many, you know, many parts of it that others can relate to. So to introduce her today, I have Lisette Zapien, who is here. She, and we're going to talk about eating disorders, mental illness, and how she beat bulimia. Um, and I'm really excited about this because she's now a mom. She's kind of overcome her battle, right? But um, she, you know, that's still day-to-day things that we deal with, right? Anxiety, depression. And so Lisette, thank you so, so much for being here. Um, I'm really excited to have you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm excited to be here. Um, I love just sharing. And I think the more that we talk about things we've been through, um, especially nowadays, it really does help just, you know, you're not alone. Um, We all deal with things differently. Um, Our progress looks different. The way we overcome things is different. Um, And so I think it's important that the more we share our stories, we can learn from each other. Um, I think it's important that when you hear someone's story, you're motivated and inspired by it, but also you can't compare it to your progress because everyone is different and everyone's the way they function and the way they deal with things. And there could be other um, contributing factors to where we are. Yeah. I, I think that that's super important, right? Like it is great. And I think that in the state of like, I guess just our society and the way we are with social media, like it's people are always comparing, right? It's like, you see someone taking like these amazing vacations and you're just like, why can't I be like, you know, in the middle of the ocean, like crystal clear waters or, you know, people like, oh, I just got engaged or, oh, I'm having a baby. Like there's so many parts of our lives that are shared on social media, but I don't think we, we also share kind of like the deeper, darker, you know, shadow type things, you know, or like shadow work that, you know, is kind of what I like to call it, but it's those obstacles that kind of get in our way. Like nobody really talks about that. So let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about kind of like your story, like where you started. Um, yeah. So for me, um, I grew up in a very, uh, traditional Hispanic household, um, mom making and chilados and chilerellenos on a Tuesday. Let me say that her chilerellenos are amazing. They are pretty amazing. Um, so you and you know and menudo every Sunday it was a given or it was a barbecue and so we you know a Hispanic culture is very much about we throw, we show love through food which is amazing um, but so due to that um, obviously I indulged in everything my mother knows how to make um, so I always struggled with my weight um, I was a little insecure my siblings sometimes were like oh you shouldn't be eating that or you shouldn't you know, you should go for a walk or go run or whatever it would be. And they don't realize that when you're that impressionable and you're young, um, for me, it started probably junior high, middle school, when I started to put on weight. Um, And so I did, I felt really insecure. I didn't like anything on my body. It was always like a crying body shaming hour to get dressed if we were going somewhere. And, and when you're that young and you don't have anyone building you up because it's just, it's not there. It's more so um, do something about it. And it's picking about what you aren't and, 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 you know, picking at what's there. And, 
you know, it just, and my, my middle brother was an angry teen. And so he, I was his, his punching bag, which I think contributed more to my insecurities for sure. Um, and so that continued on. And I think um, when I was in my senior year of high school, I graduated, I was about 210 pounds. Um, and I just said, I'm tired of this. Um, I always, you know, I was tired of feeling bad about myself and my body. And so I did, I really got in a good mindset. I cut out a lot of things and I started going to the gym regularly and I did it the right way over the course of a year. I lost um, about 90 pounds. And when that happened, I also started to, it was my coping mechanism for how I really felt. Um, I had, I, you know, we have a long list of, of depression and anxiety in my family. My grandfather committed suicide when I was a junior in high school. And we've had some other issues since that. And then recently my uncle passed away from committing suicide as well, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so um, for me, I've always had this feelings and had anxiety. And when I was at the gym and I felt good when I was there, you get, you know, all the adrenaline's going, it made me feel good. So for me, I got addicted to that feeling of feeling good. But then I became very ritualistic. So I got wrapped up in the, you know, the number on the scale and how my clothes fit and what I ate, um, I, you know, and I literally ate the same thing every day, probably for uh, two years. And if I couldn't do any of that stuff, I would have a breakdown, anxiety attacks. Um, and I just felt like a failure because I couldn't do what I knew I wanted to do. And so then of course, you know, concern starts when I was about 98 pounds and my family just got concerned and they didn't know how to deal with it. And, and I think the biggest part was they thought it was about being thin, but really this was me coping with my mental illness, with with my anxiety, my depression, my, you know, I just didn't have confidence in anything that I did, but this was one thing that I knew I could do and I knew how to do it and sustain it. Whether it was healthy or not at yeah. one point, it yeah. wasn't, yeah. but it was my, it was my coping mechanism. And, you know, my parents never dealt with that. They didn't know what it was. My mom, obviously her father committing suicide, but Beyond that, she's never dove into the science behind it, the psychology behind it. And she wasn't educated on those things that were my dad. So they were just like, you need to stop this. And they wanted to strong arm me to stop. And so that's where it changed. It, it, I said, well, you guys want me to eat? You guys want me to do this? Well, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it my way. And that's when I became bulimic. And that's when I, I was like, okay, I'll eat in front of you guys, but I'm going to do this my way. And then that's where the bulimia came in. Um, and, and so then that was my coping mechanism because when I was doing that, I didn't think about how I felt. I didn't think about anything. I just thought about that. And it is, it's that numbing feeling. And, you know, my, you know, my dad thinking he was doing something right was like, this is dumb. You just need to stop. You need to stop doing this to yourself. And for them, they don't know that it's, it's deeper than just being thin. It's not about the physical anymore. 
It was completely mental. I didn't know how to stop. Um, my mom would come to the gym and like yell at me to get off the treadmill and I would have an anxiety attack and start crying in the gym. And it was, it was traumatic for me. Um, and, and so I think that's the biggest takeaway for me from that, especially being a parent is it changed my way of looking at being a parent and also my parenting style, yeah. you know, instead of just completely you know, telling your kid, no, this is it. This is what it is because I say so. Mm -hmm. It's, this is what it is and this is why. And so it's really taking the time and I understand you feel that way, but this is how it needs to be because there are rules in order for us to function properly. Mm -hmm. And this is why we need to abide those. And so even, you know, in the future, as he gets older, it's really important for me to have that open communication and be able to understand how he feels and how we can best assess the situation and just saying, no, that's not right. And you're not going to do that because I say so. Yeah. Yeah. There's, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all of this. Right. And it's like, I've known Lisa, I think she's, we're a few years apart, um, but yeah. she was like younger. <laughs> Since we were kids. I, yeah. And so I, right. Like I kind of had the opposite um, thing kind of happen to me. Right. So like at the age of five, right. My parents were divorced. I went and lived with my dad for like a year and I put on weight because my weight was my protection mechanism, right? Like I just ate whatever I want. Like my dad would give me candy. He would give, you know, same thing, you know, Mexican family. Like if you didn't eat, like there was something wrong with there was something you, right? Wrong. Like my grandma would try to give me extra plates and she was like, come me that I have like, I didn't want to eat anymore. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, because culturally, right? if you were heavier or had like meat on you, right. You were wealthy, right. Like you could afford to eat because if you were thin, that means you were poor, right? Like that was kind of their con their idea and what they understood. And then you have tortillas and beans and rice, like at every meal, plus whatever else they do. And like, you know, we had like potato patties, like, you know, just straight up potato and flour and <laughs> fried like the cheese, the cheese. And it was just, you know, like the food is good. Right. There's, yeah, it's there's Mexican restaurants like uh, yeah, everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> so, but like, so growing, for, so for me, right. Like I started putting on weight, but mine was more of a protection mechanism, right? Like if I could eat like eat my food and have my weight be kind of what everybody saw, then I didn't have to deal with the feelings that were going on inside. Right. And so even now I notice when I'm emotionally, like I'm an emotional eater. So I know that when I'm stressed out or I have anxiety, sometimes I try to like chug my water or I like walk or get fresh air. But a lot of times I'm like, I just want to eat something. Like I want to eat something sweet, like a cookie, like I want, and I'm like, okay. And then I have to, you know, get back to present and be like, hold on. We're not going to numb it with food. We're going, you know, and so for some people, right? Like you, it's either, it's like exercise, right? Like if you just exercise and like, that makes you feel better. Right. And it's the same thing, right? Like sugar, they say is like, like cocaine, right. Or like crack. Like, it's like, it gives you that hit and you're like, you, you then you end up striving for more same thing with like, you know, uh, the adrenaline and like the dopamine, right. When you are exercising, you get like a quote unquote runner's high. Yeah right? It's like you want more and then you end up chasing, you just want that like good feeling. But I think what you said was super important is that, right? Like you were your brother's punching bag, right? Like I kind of took on a lot of like my mom's emotions, my dad's emotions. Like I was the oldest, I was a girl, like I was supposed to like take care, you know, I was like second in line to take care of the family for I think that happens a lot in Hispanic families because I always, like when my parents would argue growing up, I was a child, but I felt like I had to lighten the moment or make them laugh or mm -hmm. like do something to get 
to get the pressure off, to kind of ease the mood. You feel like it's your responsibility. But what we have to tell our kids is it's not, it's not their, it's not their burden. It's ours. Yeah. It's the adult's burden and they have to sort out their issues. Yeah. And it's super important to tell your kids that it's not their fault. Even when it's a small argument, my daughter will say, mommy, are you proud of me? Am I like, am I making you happy? And I'm like, it is not your job to make me happy. And she's like, but I want you to smile. And I'm like, that's great. I said, (laughs) but it's mommy's responsibility. Right. And they're teaching her early on. Right. Cause sometimes there'll be moments where like my parents will have conversations with my daughter and I'm like, no, that's not appropriate. Like I've been there. I've taken that from you guys and it's not happening to like I'm just trying to raise a daughter who doesn't have to go through therapy or at least like a minimal amount that's all I'm trying to do and so I have to like you know you know our kids are young and so it's like at six like there are times where she's like well I'm afraid to say this to you know to grandma or grandpa because I'm gonna hurt their feelings and I'm like if that's how you feel and it's truthful like it comes from your heart then you say it. If it hurts their feelings, they're grownups and they'll be able to understand. If you're saying it to be mean, that's a different story, right? So teaching them the difference, but there are just moments where I'm like, you're not responsible for anybody's happiness other than your own yeah. as you know, and it's, but then it's like trying to make sure that <laughs> we're not, re- it's also like respectful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I'm just going to be mean because this makes me happy. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 finding that line. But I also think, right. It's super important. Like you were saying is that our parents don't know they they're learning maybe now because we're, they see us as parents and we're able to teach them. But like our generation is the one that's like breaking all of these cycles, these cultural and societal cycles that our parents, our grandparents, our great, 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 like everybody did everything the same way. Right. And also I realized, especially with men, right. Cause I see it with my boyfriend and the way he is with his son is that there's that like machismo, right. There's that like you know, don't cry. I'm going to, you know, give them tough love and that's going to make them stronger. And it's like, no dude, like you are like suppressing their emotions, like their feelings. Like they're allowed, like you're allowed to feel it's like, you're allowed to feel, (laughs) you know, like cry if you need to, like, it's okay. But for so long, right. Our society, like just, you know, as a whole and culturally it's, you know, that men are not supposed to cry, that they're supposed to be strong. And so they learn that. And then they, then, you know, try to like show us through tough love. And it's like, that's not how it's done, you know? No, and, and I think it's important, you know, especially as adults and uh, Hispanic parents, as we know, they can, they want to be controlling. They, they, even when you have your own kids and I, it comes from love and we know that, but I think recently I learned, you know, I adore my parents. And for me, it's really important that we set boundaries. And I've had these conversations when I feel like it's kind of, okay, I, I, I respectfully, I am on my own now. I have a child. I understand you want to help, but I hear you, but there's a better way to communicate like your advice instead of telling me you can, we can have a conversation about it and I will definitely take it into consideration and applying it with my own kid or my lifestyle or whatever it may be, but we need to do it in a better way. Yeah. you know, don't be so abrasive, you know, there's a nice, there, there's a correct way to communicate so that we don't end up being upset. And I think that was something recent. It was just like my mom, you know, her, she's outspoken and she's a strong woman, you know, and I love her for it. I think that's one of the things that I got from her and I'm so thankful, but it's also, I had to tell her like, you actually really hurt my feelings. And I don't think you've done that in a really long time. And I'm 34 now. 
and you actually hurt my feelings. And I had to live, you know, I had to sit with her and tell her like, this is how it made me feel. And I felt like a kid again when she did it. Like, it was so weird. Like I was that 13 year old kid again and I felt bad about myself. And so I think that that's when boundaries really come into play. And it's okay to let your kids also let people know about boundaries. And I teach him about it. Like, hey, this is, this is where we're at. And this is what it needs to be. And you need to stay on your side of the line, kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is, and it's really important. I think that that's something I just learned to do is starting to set those boundaries. Yeah. And it actually makes the world of a difference. Yeah. Well, you know, and in, in growing up, right, like in our families and the way that they are, like boundaries mm-hmm. are non-existent. Like, I mean, our parents didn't know boundaries with mm-hmm. their parents, like, or how to voice them, right? Like they just didn't know how to do it. And so boundaries are like non-existent in so many of like the relationships, like amongst cousins, aunts, uncle, like all of it is there. Like people just say things. And as children, we were just supposed to take it. And it's like, hold on. Like now you say it to me as an adult, if I have, you know, if I know, you know, boundaries and I'm going to like stand up for myself, that's like, hold on. We're not having, <laughs> you can't say that to a grown adult. Like I'm not no. <laughs> seven years old anymore. Like we can't have those same conversations. Yeah. Um, so let me stop you right there. <laughs> um, so I think that it's so important that as parents, right. Cause like for me, my, like I was with my daughter's father for almost 10 years before, like we split and it was the most toxic relationship I have ever been in. Um, right. We looked great. Like everybody was like, Oh, you guys are so cute. You make such a great couple. And he's so charismatic that every, he would fool everyone. Um, and, and still does. Um, but (laughs) another day, but it's like, you know, like it wasn't working. Right. And I got to a point where I found out I was pregnant and I was like, hold on, is this the example I'm going to set for my daughter of what a healthy relationship is? Because she's just going to be screwed if I stay here. And this is what she thinks like no healing will happen. And so for us to kind of like take that, um, take on the challenge essentially, right. Of challenging everything that we've ever known or that we've ever like done for our children, right. Becoming a mom is so powerful and it shifts us in so many ways. Um, I would do, I do have a question for you when, so what changed for you? Like, right. Because it's easy, I think, to kind of like stay in that space and, you know, you still kind of anxiety and depression are one of those things where it can be ongoing and you can learn to cope and you can learn tools. Like I actually, am not like diagnosed with anxiety, but the first time that I realized I actually had anxiety was when I was studying for the bar exam. I went in and my doctor was, I was like, I don't know what this feeling is. I feel like I can't breathe. Like I'm freaking out. I just want to cry. And it's a control thing. Right. And he was like, Oh, let me give you this medication. It's going to feel like you had a glass of wine. And I was like, okay. And it was like lorazepam or something like that, where Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, just took the edge off. And I was like, Oh, okay. This probably would have been helpful. Like years ago. I just didn't know what I was (laughs) dealing with. (laughs) You know, but it's one of those things now where it's like, I have the tools, right. And I'm like mindful and I have to come back to present when I feel like my anxiety is creeping. And so it is an ongoing battle, right? Like anxiety and depression, but, and it, you can get to a space where you aren't able to get out of it. Right. Like there's so many people oh, yeah, definitely. who are unable to get out of it, but what would you say was the biggest thing that helped you to kind of get to where you are, like stop with like, you know, like to kind yeah. of like calm your eating disorder and. So, um, I think probably the biggest, like for my parents, the most traumatic thing, I was hospitalized for two weeks. Um, I was on 24 hour surveillance. Um, my heart rate was dipping to, I think 18 beats a minute. 
in my sleep, 17, 18 beats a minute, um, which is extremely low. Even if you're a runner, like I'm a runner now, even, um, and even now my heart rate is, my resting heart rate is like 48 beats a minute um, when I'm sitting. Um, but it was dipping to 17. So what can happen is your heart can actually stop because I didn't have the nutrients to feed my body or my heart to keep pumping. So, um, but the funny thing is, is that even after I did that, and I was hiding food, like they would give you food, I hid it in my shirt, I would put crackers in my, like, you have no idea, like, and the thing is, is that I look back, and we, they used to make us journal write, I was in an outpatient program, and I mean, even speaking to some of these women, so, and they're all, all stages, different stages of their life, like, there was a lady who was in her late 60s, early 70s, probably, who was anorexic, she, it was her, it was her control mechanism. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it was just different people in all different, there was young girls at 12, 13 years old. And it was, it was an, a weird, bizarre place because we're all trading secrets on how to <laughs> get through it. It was, it was very bizarre. It's like, it's like, is this what you know, a rehab for like drug addicts do like they, they share secrets on how to sneak in drugs and stuff. Like it was that type of thing. And it was like, but there's a community of it. And what it is, is it's, you know, and you can't talk about your weight or anything like that. But as soon as the teacher or the instructor left, like that was the first thing we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was hospitalized and I left, I really realized like, I, I don't know how to make myself better. And these stuff is not working. And I just kept regressing and I would relapse. And I think that I really probably, I continued for a while, for a few years after that outpatient program and being hospitalized. Um, I stopped for a little bit, I gained some weight and then I found myself right back in that same cycle. Um, and then I moved away and I was on my own and I followed a guy who was toxic and I was insecure. And I still hated myself for what I was doing to myself, but I didn't know how to stop. And I got worse. I think I was like 95 pounds when I lived in, in Nevada. Um, and I'm five, six, like I should not be 95 pounds. <laughs> no, I was bones. Yeah. And so I, I got there and, and I had feelings that this person was being unfaithful, but I just, I was so scared to leave. I was scared to not have someone. Um, and even after everything came unraveled, I still, kind of gave him reason to think I would stay or go back. And I had already come back. And so I think that when we don't have the confidence and we're upset with ourselves and we're dealing things, we don't, we don't wanna be alone. And we're afraid that we won't find happiness or find that other person. And so we stay in these relationships. And then I think I just got to a point that I said, I'm either gonna die or I need to figure out how to move forward. And after that, I, I really, you know, it's that same thing. It's one day at a time. It's finding somebody that you can talk to. And also you need to look in the mirror and be honest with yourself. And that was probably the hardest thing. Cause I went back and I grabbed, like, I have my journal from when I was in that patient program still to this day, because I think it's important that you never forget. And I went through so many stages of my recovery. I was, I went through rage. I was angry and, and just bitter because I was upset because for me, I look back and be like, why me? Why did I end up like this? And because of it, like 
even when I was anorexic and going to school in community college, I couldn't even get through class because I was falling asleep because I was so depleted of energy. Mm. So I couldn't even focus on the things that I loved and wanted to do and become. But also I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any of it back because I'm so thankful for where I am today. And I think that that's where that, that you, it kind of came full circle. So I started to really think about it. Um, I think a lot about my grandpa and I never, I don't want that to be my legacy, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to be remembered that I took my own life. Sorry, I get emotional. No, no, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, wow. you know, I, I didn't want to end that way. And so for me, it was very important for me to just figure out what drives me. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's my family. It's, I wanted, you know, to have a child. And that was probably my biggest um, inspiration was I wanted to be a mom, but I can't be a mom with an eating disorder. Mm. And also I, I just, you have to hold yourself accountable. It's not easy, but um, as cliche as it sounds, journaling down and putting it in writing, like seeing all the things that I wrote to in the past, just seeing like the things I did, like wow. there was a time where like, I, I mean, you, if I read you a page, I, you, most people would be like, oh my God, how embarrassing. Just because you literally had to write down anytime you like binged and purged and basically you stuffed yourself full of food and then went and threw up. That's what that means. It's just the terms they used in the program. Um, and you have to write what you ate and everything. And so when you go back and look at those things, you're just like, there was a time when I was like, I was so ashamed. And I was like, how embarrassing and how low was I to do that to myself and it's and, and it is it's a sickness and you have to find balance you have to find what helped me a lot is actually my best friend who is this my my son's dad was there for me and never never judgment but I asked him to be that person to hold me accountable because I couldn't talk to my family about it I couldn't tell them every time I did it because it would just you know my mom would freak out my dad would freak out and it just became this thing I needed somebody that was going to hold me accountable for it, but also be understanding and help me through it. Yeah. And so I think it's important you find that person, whether it's a therapist, whether it's your best friend, but you have to be ready to be honest and realize, is this what you really want? You know how they say an addict can't change until they really want to change. Mm -hmm. It's true. So true. Until you find it in yourself that you really want to change, you won't. You'll find a reason to go back. You'll make excuses for yourself. And I did that so many times, but I really got to a point. And then, you know, we had other people in my family also going through depression and a few attempts, luckily they failed, but it really put my life into perspective. And that's why it's so important that we, we talk about these things and share these things. Cause it might be that one story that hits home that you're like, I don't want to end that way. Yeah. I don't want people to think back of my life. And the only thing they remember is well, she died from an eating disorder. That wasn't, that wasn't going to be me. I want to be remembered. She overcame it and she was a mom mm -hmm. and, you know, she installed those life lessons into her child and I hope he's better for it. And you can't look back and regret. Yeah. Yes. I wanted to be a nurse growing up. I wanted to do all that stuff, but you know what? I'm also really happy where I am now. Um, I think that sometimes we go through things to get to where we're really supposed to be. And I think that I went through all of that and I have a purpose and this is part of it. If somebody can, you know, overcome something because of my 
story or because we're having this conversation, then I'm thankful for it. And I wouldn't take any of it back because it's also molded the person that I am today. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's one thing, you know, that, you know, I share a lot on my like lives and my coaching programs. It's like, everything is happening for you in a reason for a reason, right? Like, it's just, you do have to be, hold yourself accountable to yourself, right. To be like, okay, why am I doing this? Being able to figure it out. But what I do realize is, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, bulimia, anorexia, emotional eating, it all has to do with control, right? And what we can and can't mm-hmm. control because I find like, right, like when I feel like my life is spiraling out of control, apparently like I just all try to eat, right? But it's, you know, for you, it's <laughs> yeah. like, well, I can control how many calories I'm burning on the treadmill or how many calories I'm consuming or not consuming, right? It's like, it's that control part of it. It's And it's when, you know, our life may feel like it's spiraling out of control where like, you know, I, I, I have a client whose daughter has an eating disorder and, you know, thinking, having this conversation, it's like when her parents started going, went through their divorce, like maybe that's when it happened. You know, I don't know all the story, but it's like, but what, based on your conversation, you know, our conversation right now, your story, just knowing what's kind of going on in her life. It's like when our lives start spiraling out of control, the one thing that we can actually control is ourselves, Right. And so it's like immediately, yeah food, exercise, what we do with our bodies. Like those are the things that feel like we have the most like tangible control over when it's Mm -hmm. so much deeper than that. Right. Like it's this internal, Mm -hmm. like these feelings and being able to voice them because if we have to suppress them, right. Then we don't have control, even what we're speaking. Um, and if we're doing that, we're learning that at a young age, then of course we're going to go some other route. And I think that that's why, you know, for the most part, I think, and I don't know statistics around like eating disorders, but I'm going to guess most of them are women. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we throw it, it's, I'm going to guess that most eating disorders are probably like, you know, girls and women. Um, and so it's, it's, it's just so much deeper than just like, oh, like, why can I not control it? Right. There's, there's so many layers to it too. And it's like, you know, you said that you felt like anger and it's like, I get, I can understand, right. I can only imagine cause I haven't been there, but I can imagine like how angry you're like, I want to stop so bad. And I have no idea how to do it. Right. And it's an additional layer of like not having control because you're control. like, I don't even have control over my body. So, um, you know, it's, and I can only imagine like the frustration there, like, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and you definitely go through it's It's like with anything, I think, um, that that really is impactful. Even when we grieve, we go through different stages, right? We're angry, we're upset, um, we're we're sad. We reflect on happy memories, so there's joy. It's just it's this roller coaster that you have to go through. And even now, I can't. You know, there's times when I'm stressed, or there's especially this last year. I mean, it's been a crazy time, and so there is still times when you get in your head. And I mean, I, I, and I say it to hubby, like, cause he knows me and, and he understands And you know, even though he's never really had depression or anxiety, he really does take the time to just ask me like, what does it feel like? How do you feel? Like, how can I help you? And it's really important to have that support. Like I said, whether it's a therapist, I, I had one when I was in the program, she was great. Um, she went on maternity leave and never came back, unfortunately. Uh, but if one doesn't work, it's not always a match either. So don't think that every therapist is the same. Um, luckily, she specialized in eating disorders. So she was actually really great. And I never felt judged by her. Um, but and especially because you're new to it and I had never been to therapy prior, but it is really important to find that person you can be honest with, but at the same time, they're going to hold you accountable, but in the right way. Yeah. And so, um, 
you know, it, 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 it is, I wouldn't, I look back now and there's times when I'm stressed and I'm like, babe, all I want to do is go get like a dozen donuts and eat them and then go throw up, but I won't. Yeah. But it's because it's something, but it's something that's always with you, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a feeling you get. And a lot of people won't understand that. Mm -hmm. um, I think even he, sometimes he's like, but why? And I'm like, I don't, it's just because that was my illness. That was, that was my, my stress reliever because I didn't have to think yeah. about anything else with that. Like even cutting like people that cut themselves, it's the same thing. When you're cutting yourself, you're not thinking about anything else, but that. Yeah. All your focus and pain is in that. And so that's why, you know, and, and that's how you end up in these cycles, these unhealthy cycles. And then you realize that the thing that you thought was your control mechanism, you no longer have control of. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and you know, I think that's super important, right? It's like when you're going through something like this, right. Um, and I mean, cause really it's, it's, it's an addiction, right? Like it's a different part of like mm -hmm. addiction person, you know, they say addictive personalities, yeah. like it's an addiction to, you know, one way mm -hmm. or another, right. And we all have some kind of thing that we're, whether people drink wine mm -hmm. at night, like whether, you know, yeah. they're, you know, stuffing their face with cookies and, you know, not, you know, getting rid of them, like whatever yeah. it is, like we all have our forms of addiction. It's, and it just, this sounds probably crazy. Like, it's like, but how do you <laughs> manage them? Like, it's one of those things, right? Just because there's so many external factors that are constantly at play. But I think what you said, the most important thing is finding someone that can support you without judgment, right? Because sometimes we go to our parents, right? And they're like, just suck it up. Or they're like, you know, we'll figure it out. Like, this isn't healthy for you. And they mean well, but they're just not approaching us in the way that we need that support, right? So it's finding support in whatever way that is, that's non-judgmental that's understanding, but also not enabling, right? So it's finding something that like works for you. But I think the biggest thing too, is just like, start asking for help, like reach out to somebody for help, you know, whether it's like reaching out to you after listening to this story, right. That you're sharing. Mm -hmm. Someone's like, I can relate. Well, where do I go from here? I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Whether it's reaching out to you, a professional therapist, a school counselor, you know, a friend that you feel like is like your best friend and that you can trust. Um, but like ask for help. I think that is probably the biggest thing, um, to get support. Right. Like, and I think that that might be the hardest when you're like, oh, I have an issue. Like I have a problem or I have this issue that I need to deal with. What's my next step. And like next step being like, ask somebody for help to, to get you through it. Yeah. Because I think, right. Like if we like our parents can, it's like one of these things, right? Like even when I'm working with my clients and I'm like, I can tell you that if you die without a will or without an estate plan, you're going to go through mm -hmm. probate court, but I can, you know, like lead the horse to water, but I can't force it to drink. Right. So our parents, our family members, all meaning well can say here, these are all of these resources that you need. But if you're not willing to like take the next step, then it's just like, and I think that's with everything, the like self-accountability, right? Self-motivation. You have to have a little bit of like self-motivation or the willingness or wantingness, right? To change the situation because if nothing changes, right? Nothing changes. And so if you're not willing to make some kind of change, no matter how small it is, then you'll stay on that same path and whatever it is that's happening will be your story, right? Yeah. Exactly. I think, I think that when you're looking at trying to overcome something or even if you live with anxiety and depression trust me there's days when i don't want to do anything i want to curl up in bed close the blinds and just disappear for a day but you have to also remember why you've come this far 
And you're here today because you've been able to survive all challenges that life has thrown your way. So you have no reason to not take one step forward and show up. Just show up and you may be surprised at your progress. If you just take that step, even if you're like therapy, I think it's dumb. I think it's stupid, but I'm going to go talk to this lady. (laughs) Go talk to that lady and see how you feel afterwards. And you might be surprised. You know, you just kind of also have to take a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. You woke up this morning, be thankful. There are other people that cannot say the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about really just learning to be present and yes, worry about tomorrow, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. If I'm still here tomorrow, I'm going to be glad that I did this today. More so in that aspect. I think that we get wrapped up in these five-year, 10-year plans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have a plan in place. I mean, I have life insurance and all that fun stuff, <laughs> but also, you know, I mean, we want our kids to be taken care of Mm -hmm. and we don't want them to worry when the funeral arrangements come and all of that stuff. So it it is important to have those things into place, but it's also really important to just, what can I do today to make myself a little better? Mm -hmm. Even if it's a baby step, what can I do today? Is it getting up, taking a shower and going for a walk? Is it taking a shower and investing 30 minutes to read or do something that you like and enjoy for you, not for anyone else, but do something that brings you joy. Yeah. And I think that as you do that, you know, don't, don't look at it as, oh, this is where I want to be. And this is where I'm at. You'll be overwhelmed and over it before you even start it. You have to really take those small steps and take those small wins and embrace them and feel good about it. And don't worry about what other people think you should do or where you should be or where society tells you you should be. You get to write your own story. Your success is your own. Yeah. And you have a right to write it however you want. Yeah. And that is power in itself. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's what I love, right. Is that, you know, and I love that I get to have you on here to share your story. Right. It's like, cause there's so many podcasts where they're like business owners and we have all these people <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, we need real stories that <laughs> women can relate to. Right. And this is one of them. And there's so many, like, whether you're in business, right. You're trying to overcome, you know, anxiety and depression or, you know, an eating disorder, whether you want to lose weight, whatever it is, right. Get mm-hmm. healthier. Like, we have these ups and downs. We may fail. We may fall flat on our face numerous times, but coming back to like being present and very intentional, right? Okay. What am I doing today that will change my life in the future? Right. And I agree, like focusing on the future is so important, but it's always like, okay, let's come back to today. What little thing can I do today? And being just intentional with how we spend our time, the words that we say, especially to ourselves, right? The the self-talk, like that is key, but it's just being intentional with how we spend our time and with the people who are supportive of us. And it's like, what can you do today? That's going to get to your five-year goal, your 10-year goal. Right. And if that feels overwhelming, it's like, what can I do right now within this next hour, right? Within the next five minutes, what can I do? Because part of that, right. Is the ideal. So like anxiety, right. Is us being unable to control the future, right? Because we absolutely mm-hmm. cannot, right? All we can control. But no one right can. Now. Yeah. No and one can. Depression, right? Where it's like, 
us being unable to control the past, right? This is this is kind of the concept and kind of what goes around like more, I guess, the woo-woo spiritual, whatever you want to call it. But mm-hmm. it's the idea that we're trying to control things beyond our control that nobody can control. And it doesn't mean anything about us or that we're unable to do something because no one can do it. I mean, unless they're like a psychic or, you know, like, I know, right? like <laughs> they can go but, back in time, but it's like coming back to present and just being like right here, right now, what can I do to like make my life better? Or that would make me feel good. And then I think it's important too, is it's really you have to look at it this way. You're, no one stops learning, growing. We are all a work in progress. Even if you're the CEO of a company, there's still more you can do. There's things you can do better. doesn't matter. And wealth isn't happiness either. It, I think it's, it's where, where are you happiest? Where are you most content? You know? Um, and, and so it, you really have to look at it in that way. Um, I, I'm still a work in progress. I still have things that I want to work on that I want to be better about. I have, you know, I want to better my career. I'm happy with where I'm at, but I want to, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm looking at enrolling in like a 30 hour OSHA. I work in environmental health and safety. So for me, it's, it's, it's looking at little things you can do to better yourself. And yeah, if I do that 30 hour, it's going to help my future because down the line, when I want to grow, I'm going to have that in my back pocket. Right. So those are little things we can strive for, but there are so many things I still have to work on. I, I still need to, you know, work on not getting hard on myself sometimes. Cause even though I show up and I do what I need to do, there are times where we're, we're self-conscious and we pick at things that we know we shouldn't because there's certain things we can't change and I don't have the money for plastic surgery. So we just got to embrace what we got. You got to take, you got to take what you're dealt and embrace it. You know, there's a, there's a comedian, um, that she's, she's, uh, she's a, uh, she talks a lot about just like women's rights and things like that too, in her, um, in her shows, but she does say, you know, no matter what you are or how you look, you are right in being it. If that's who you want to be, nobody has the right to take that away from you. You have the power to love yourself, but you need to find that within. And so that's where meditation, I never thought I would meditate. Let me tell you, I used to roll my eyes and people would say that. And I was that person, like, you're full of it. Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. You want to sit there and breathe? That's supposed to help you feel better. Um, it does. So <laughs> it freaking does. I was like, what the heck? Headspace is like my best friend. I, and even at night, like sometimes Andres has, my son has trouble sleeping. So I put like the rainy sound in the back and he talks and he likes it and it soothes him. So for me, you know, use those tools. Even if you think they're BS, try it. And if you don't, don't knock it till you try it. Yeah. That's my, that's yeah. my saying. And so give it a shot, see what works, see what doesn't. If it doesn't work, then you move on to the next thing. But you also have to find it within yourself to want to be better and to want to, to move forward. That's, that's something that comes from you. So you have to make that decision. And, and where do you want to be? And where, you know, what do you want people to remember you for? And I think that that's really important because I didn't want to end in, in being remembered for, I, I was succumb to my, my disorder and I lost my war. Yeah. You know, my battle did not end well. I didn't want to be remembered for that. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so, so much, Lisa, for being here. If they, people want to reach out to you, um, what's the best way to reach? Um, you? The best way, I mean, I'm on social media, so it's okay. my name, my first and last name. And then also um, I'm happy to take emails. 
Uh, it's my first and last name, exactly how it's spelled at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to help in any way possible. I love, you know, hearing other people's battles as well. Um, if you just want to share your story with me, I'm more than happy to hear it out, um, have a conversation, um, get on a Zoom call. I'm more than happy to help. Awesome. Thank you. And if you have one last thing that you would want to share to some, with somebody who's listening right now that has been where you are or who is kind of going through it, what would be like the biggest, I guess, or like one tip for them um, to take away? You are worthy and you have the right to feel the way you feel and you have a right to be happy. And you need to know that you have self-worth. Your life matters. No matter who you are, your life matters. And so go out there, just show up. Just show up, do one thing to make yourself feel better today and know that you are worthy. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for all of you listening, please do not hesitate to reach out. Um, Lizette will more than be, you know, be more than happy to chat with you, hear your story. If you want to write into the podcast, please feel free. Um, you have a short a story you want to share with us. You know, that's what we're all about here. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Lisette, for being here. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye.